Hi, and welcome to Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast, highlighting artists, teachers, authors, and philanthropists of the regenerative movement, people who are committed to and showcase qualities of planetary leadership. My name is Julian Gudelai, and I'm a transformational coach, a breathwork teacher, and committed to a world that allows people from all walks of life to thrive. I'm your host and creator of Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast. Today's episode is an interview with Catherine Winter Celery. Catherine is a wife, a mother, international coach, philanthropist, global citizen, and the founder of the Conscious Parenting Revolution. She's a passionate advocate for mental health and reform. She's been coaching parents, children, and executives on conscious communication for over 16 years, is a trained mediator and breathing meditation teacher for the Art of Living Foundation. Her work and theory of change is focused on healing transgenerational dysfunction due to personal experiences from childhood to motherhood. Catherine and I will discuss some of the secrets behind effective parenting through inspiring personal and worldly stories from the past. And so with these words, welcome, Catherine. Thank you so much. It's so lovely to be here and to meet you. Yes, I'm excited for another conversation about education and the future of education. Mm-hmm. And yeah, this, what you call the conscious parenting revolution. Yeah, conscious parenting. It's just, uh, it's something most of us didn't grow up with. Yeah, I think this is um, throughout the the string of generations. Few of us grew up with that, and I want to I want to you know jump right into that because you know I, we've had a few explorations like this on the podcast before, and I'm all I'm all ears and curious for it. It it, it seems to me that conscious parenting really means that focusing that a lot of the education actually has to happen with the parents mm. to make space for the children to to let that genius that is within every child to truly come out. Totally. And, you know, I beat this little drum about separation and individuation. And because I feel that it's the stage in development that most children are made to feel badly about. And there is within all of us the expression of what is ourselves. And that can often appear to parents as um, disrespectful, disobedient, talking back. And it, to me, is so sad. It's tragic because both sides um, aren't communicating with each other in a way that, you know, develops the connection and also provides the Petri dish for everyone to thrive, individuate, and express what's going on inside of themselves in a way that the other person can honor it and see it as important information that needs to be cultivated. And the dynamic that's I guess um, the one that's so important to understand is the one between my inner voice and my sense of things in the moment and how it isn't, it, it isn't usually allowed that that be cultivated within a child because the outer voice <laughs> is so strong mm-hmm. and the power differential is so entrenched And the negative view of children, the filter that looks at behavior that isn't just obedient, compliant, and doing what it's told is looked at as being defiant. Mm -hmm. Instead of having a vision around it being authentic, an expression of what's going on inside of that person, their no to you is a yes to something inside of themselves, a framework to be able to look at all of this differently. Usually it's not there. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm in absolute agreement. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of smiling myself because it, it's true for children and for the way a lot of education has happened on this planet for, for decades and centuries Absolutely. and millennia, but also it's kind of true for our society at large. It's like the noise on the external is extremely loud and it kind of discourages people to go deeper within where all the mystic traditions, all the ancient texts say that the real kingdom, the real miracle is on the inside. And when we come to the world from that place, something different happens. And, and so, yeah, it starts at the beginning of our life that we kind of get discouraged to do so. Exactly. And, you know, in the courses that I run, I talk about cultivating an internal locus of causality or an external locus of causality. Most of the families that we grow up in and the societies, of course, are a reflection of us individually. So we go from the micro to the macro. Everything that we're talking about that happens within a family is happening on the larger stage. And I talk about retaliation, rebellion, and resistance, the three R's. It's the work of Thomas Gordon. 
And in his research, he found that when you use a controlling form of discipline, you activate the three R's, retaliation, rebellion, mm -hmm. and resistance. So if you're disconnected from this concept that I generate and create the world around me, then you think of the world around you as being separate from you as opposed to an extension of the seeds that you sow. If you see the world around you as the harvest that you reap from the seeds that you sow, you get the, the connection between how I'm being is a direct relationship to what I'm seeing and what's being created outside of me. So when I see the three R's, and I spend my whole life listening for the three R's when I'm talking to parents. Okay, is that rebellion? Is it retaliation? Is it resistance? It, is it one of the resentment flows? And most of the time it is, because from other research, Dr. Louise Porter's research, we know that three out of four disruptions, three out of four, um, what do we want to call it, behaviors that you would like to train, change mm. come from this controlling form of discipline. Mm. We see it, it's so pertinent right now with George Floyd and the murder of George Floyd and what is now happening in society. When you use control over people, you activate the three R's. It's part of what we need to learn about what we create. And now the focus then becomes in families and in societies about the tragic expression of the unmet needs. Mm -hmm. People do yeah. present tragically. And the tragic expression is just that. People drowning. I call it when children are swinging from the chandelier. They didn't start there. They started signaling long before they got to the chandelier but we don't pick up on all the breadcrumbs. We miss out on the entire tapestry and we only get stuck on how badly behaved people are and they shouldn't be doing that. And of course we don't want people to drown impolitely, but it's completely understandable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There, there, there's a lot in there to unpack. And I think at the very, you know, center or core of it for me, it, it looks like, our ability to step into leadership with uncomfortable topics or, you know, mm -hmm. the sensation of discomfort is really being challenged because, you know, uh, growth um, or even enlightenment, mm -hmm. you know, people, people talk about it often in this like meme kind of style that enlightenment isn't just, just bliss and bubbles. It's, it's actually, you know, awakening is, is pretty easy, but then healing all the old wounds and all the trauma that has been there before, that's the hard work. And mm. everyone has to go through this on their individual field. And I guess as a collective society, we're seeing it with the reconciliation of racism right now. We're seeing it with, you know, the, the inequalities that, that are like, yeah, magnified through the COVID-19 crisis. We're just emerging out of, mm. but then it all starts in the individual cosmos of the child. I mean, I don't believe that there's a perfect way to, to educate children because contrast and challenge is part of life. But mm. if we're able to learn to consciously navigate contrast and challenge together, mm. something entirely different becomes possible. And um, there's not really a question there for you, but more like, you know, my passion meets your passion. Because yeah, I'm, really, no, I'm curious about what, what else comes out there for you. I yeah. know. I <laughs> love this musing. And as I listen to you, you can see me. I'm just nodding along. I'm completely in that soup with you. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm a kindred spirit. And what the first thing that, that came to mind for me was that I moved into a spiritual community for the first time 30 something years ago. Mm -hmm. I think it was like 36 years. It was a long time ago. And it was my first spiritual community to live in. And, um, and I've had a lifetime of various you know, encounters with what I would like to say, people who are living to a higher purpose with intentionality around that. And I, I found that in a lot of spiritual um, communities, there is what I call spiritual bypassing. And the spiritual bypassing occurs when the, um, the truth is being spoken through so many different traditions. So pick one. Um, and we can resonate with one maybe more so than another. And that's, I think, just, you know, how, how uh, what I want to call it, individual we are. Um, but I found over the years that, you know, the real um, rubber meets the road when we can take what we know to be um, a higher calling or way of looking at things and recognize it and also acknowledge the fact that, wow, and I am just not there yet. <laughs> In my day-to-day -day life, I'm still grappling with blame. Um, so, you know, I am so far away from that. And while at the same time, I'm not necessarily able to live that every day in every moment, 
I'm aware of there being a gap between the lies that I tell myself and the ones that I continue to live by, even in the midst of having what I would call a higher um, teaching around me. And that in spite of that, there's this huge gap. And the gap is usually filled in with trauma. And it's the trauma that gets us stuck in parts of our wounded you know, child that need to be attended to. They need mm. to be sat with not to be lost in, not to lose our identity in them, but to be present with them in a way in which there's no shame around it. There's no um, pretending that it's not there. There's no pushing it away. One of the teachers in my lineage along you know, my lifetime would say, turn toward the light. And you know, I never fully got like, well, how do I do that and be present to this, like, this agony inside, the yearnings, the, the, the pain? How do I do both? Mm -hmm. How do I try to be present to the fact that it shouldn't be that way if I'm living in my higher self and yet there it is, you know? And so that to me is where we really get to be present to what is in a way in which we don't merge with it. And by doing that and turning towards something inside of us, it, it already has built within it that that's not who I am. And yet it's part of my experience and it does require my attention. Yeah, that's beautifully put. There are many times in my life and I felt like, you know, you mentioned it like as a spiritual bypass um, where, you know, part of my being kind of hung out in the future, in the, the future <laughs> state of how it, it could be or will be one day uh, rather than finding full acceptance and not just like superficial yeah. acceptance, but full acceptance into the agony or the pain or the, the mm. grief that actually needed to be felt. And I think, mm. you know, this is part of the journey of, of being human and Again, mm. like, micro and macro, like we, we're mm. seeing it on a larger field in our collective through nation states, through systemic mm. oppression, systemic racism, mm -hmm. um, you know, also systemic authoritarianism, all the isms, basically. Mm. They, yeah, pick they, there's, yeah. There's, a, there's a time, there's a time, and this time seems to be now where we mm. can move on. And so I think the reason why this is coming up between you and I so fast in this conversation is because conscious parenting or the way we encounter children has a lot to do with that and you mentioned spirituality which i think is, is no coincidence right like mm. spirituality seems to be um as you said pick your own form of it yeah um, but it seems to be a really clear connector to understanding that children are really born with a form of essence or or, or integrity um, and only the process yes. of life really either helps them to embody and empower and encourage more of that genius mm -hmm. and that's what we all want to see in each other or kind of de-geniuses us and i think those mm -hmm. are the words of, of buckminster fuller who, who, who said mm -hmm. that a, a few sure. decades ago yeah um, so so walk us through maybe a, a little bit more of, of this like empowering and encouraging this like raw energy that you know is, is yet to get to know um, yeah. the physical space but but mm -hmm. brings in like i would yeah. almost call it like a cosmic download you know yeah i love that i love all of your analogies and um, that very first spiritual community I was referring to had a Buckminster Fuller Chapel on the 35-acre organic farm, and this is going oh, back wow. 50 years ago. So um, just that nature of life and the rhythms of life, the rhythms of change, the sense of being able to connect with whatever that source is that causes those flowers to come out at this time of year in my garden. You know, it's not like I made it happen. It is the nature of that plant to do that. And so there is a nature within all of us and what is our true nature and goodness. There are so many, I call it transgenerational traumas within our family of origin and within the human family of origin that, you know, <laughs> It does need to be felt, but not merged with. And that's the distinction I like to use. In fact, this is the work I've trained in. It's called Eugene Gentland. He is a German. Maybe you've heard of Eugene Gentland. And if you haven't, look into him. He was brilliant. G-E-N-T-L-I-N. Oh, yeah. You're going to love it. And um, because I had trained with Marshall Rosenberg, the Center for Nonviolent Communication was founded by him. He's the father of restorative justice. He was mm -hmm. a hero of mine, and I feel like incredibly blessed that life put me in front of him for some time. And I got to understand and learn the principles of nonviolent communication. And, you know, if for those of you who aren't familiar with NVC, 
nonviolent communication is learning the language of feelings and needs and being able to say, yeah, I've got this feeling inside. I'm connecting that, you know, it's arising in me because my needs aren't met for autonomy or for belonging or for whatever those needs are and, and learning how to articulate it. Because when we learn a feeling and need vocabulary, it gives us a language for inner dialogue. And the inner dialogue work is, you know, it's the cornerstone of every conversation we have outside of us. <laughs> totally. it, it's that, it's that, oh, wow, you know, there's stuff going on inside here. And how do I have the words and what are they to be able to articulate that experience? Mm. So that's where, you know, Brene Brown talks about emotional granularity and she has 30 words that she's identified that everyone really needs to know. And so I teach those words and I help parents be able to help their children learn those words so that they have, there's this expression, name it to tame it. They have the ability to use words that are going to help dissipate that sense inside of them by acknowledging it's there, the power of acknowledgement. And, you know, when we don't have the feeling and need vocabulary, sometimes we say the feeling is there because of this thing that happened outside of me. And we mix up the whole thing about the stimulus being the cause of how I feel. And if we don't get that the stimulus stimulates something inside of me, but it isn't causing the feeling that I'm having, then we do think it's the thing outside of us that needs to be addressed and make that change so that I can feel better. And that, of course, is the cornerstone of a lot of parenting approaches, is that the parents are living under this bubble that my children are making me feel upset. And therefore, I need to manipulate and change them through usually the use of rewards and punishments, which has as its underpinning this idea that it's what you do to people. As, and that's how we get them to change. So now we're back in the world of from birth, essentially cultivating within the consciousness of this human being, that it's about things outside of us that determine our well-being. And it's about how we manipulate them by taking away their access to preferred activities or threatening that or giving them the carrot instead of the stick. It's all about what you do to somebody to get them to change their behavior rather than recognizing that the behavior is a reflection of something going on inside of them. And if you want to change their behavior, you get connected to what's happening in turn in terms of their inner world, rather than using more and more power over them to get obedience and compliance, which then activates the three R's, which you then spend most of your time dealing with. And it's just like the dominoes, you know, they just start totally. falling. Yeah. Like our entire species has been in this loop Here yeah, we for are. generations and generations. And even, <laughs> even when we start identifying with the consciousness that we are in the body, we're still in the body experiencing the genetic uh, yeah. kind of, we're in that, junk, that, that yeah, we're yeah. in the, the meat suit that is still going through the genetic uh, inheritance of it, right? I mean, I've mentioned this before in episodes, but like I think epigenetically, we've we've now been able to prove we carry fourteen generations of uh, DNA from our ancestors, and you know that's that's great in many ways because these ancestors en enabled and allowed us to be here right now. But fourteen generations of emotional trauma, epigenetics is the external genetics, right? Yeah. So emotions are included. That means we're like 32,000 people around us that brought <laughs> us to this point and we're going through all of their emotions and wirings and all of our emotions and we're just as capable to deal with it as we we're being taught and are teaching each other I think what lit up for me a lot while you were sharing this that this is not just the way we reward and punish in our relationship with children but also with each other in in, in loving relationships or friendships even yes. like you know, like, um, well, if that's not the way I want to be met, then I'll just not reply to your text or uh, I won't show up for this or that. And, and it's yeah. really like you can't inhabit the reality that you can't, can't articulate. And if, exactly. you, if you're not able to speak up and stand up for your own needs, how, how are we expecting the other person to see them and feel them? And, and again, it's, it's, it's uncomfortable to do so. Like for me, it's still every time I, I need to talk about something that's I more like you. my internal experience. But I would say it comes to, it's a buzzword, but like the buzzword of integrity, right? This mm -hmm. idea that uh, integrity gets, may, maybe in the simplest form would be that you think, speak and act alike. Because right? mm -hmm. mm -hmm. then it's, it's, you're transparent to mm -hmm. yourself and to others. But again, that's not really the world we're currently living in. We, mm. A lot of people think in, in private mm. agendas and act on mm. uh, different interests that they might not disclose and then speak in 
a mm. forward-facing polite way that that is that is nice and, to look at and i'm so glad you're talking about this this is one of my favorite topics because um it's also my learned experience my learned experience is that in my family of origin the mm. only face anybody ever really wanted to see was the happy face and if you've been trained enough that presenting your anguish or your disagreement or the conflict within is met with the power without ability to make you pay for that, then you learn quickly that what your job is to do is to reflect back what's going on for them and to lie about what's happening within you. And we train people to do that in our families when we train them that all that matters is their perspective. Now, children from the beginning of time have been told various messages about you're to be seen and not heard, you're to be um, right, respectful, which one. means that you're supposed to, to basically um, dismiss yourself. It is, it is without knowing it, teaching us to betray ourselves at the very beginning of time. From the time that we enter into a family system, most of them teach us how not to speak for ourselves. Speaking up is dangerous. Speaking up gets you in trouble. And after a while, you learn not to do it. And when you've learned not to do it, it's very hard then to be now in a new relationship where people are upset when you don't do it. <laughs> and they feel like you have a hidden agenda or that you're not being transparent or that you're not sharing. And it's like, yeah. well, I have learned for a long time that my job is not to share what my conflict internally might be about what you're saying outside of me. It is to bury that, to not acknowledge it and to be polite. Mm. So, you know, I'm just doing as I was taught, and now you're trying to teach me a whole new way of being. And I learned early on without knowing that I was learning it when I was undifferentiated consciousness that this is not the way to be. Cellularly, everything in me is saying, oh my God, don't be authentic and transparent because it will upset this person. Right. They live in the world of, you make me feel. And when the people around you are still living in that world, then you don't really feel the safety to be able to speak up. And you must be so centered and grounded within yourself that you can speak up and have the ripples around you, which are, of course, only possible if you are just emotionally suffering the trauma. But once someone physically is also using their power over you to push you into silence, then, of course, it's a whole different petri dish. So I just like to give people the feedback that if you have been keeping yourself silent because it has been the safe thing to do, then God bless you. That was exactly the right thing to do. And if you are now trying to learn what is a new safe world around you and where you can speak up, God bless you. I'm there with you <laughs> as we all are. And, you know, I mean, is it any irony that we're in the midst of a man who was laying on his back saying, I can't breathe, speaking up in a very gentle way, who, you know, be he, whether he was actually a criminal or not a criminal, who gives a shit? He's a human being who was under control of his emotions, expressing, I can't breathe. And the person outside of him was living in a, a consciousness, I don't even know what, I can only wonder about, that was still so worried about this person that they needed to dominate. And that is just a reflection of something in me. And it's a reflection of something in you because if it's out there, it's in here. And right. so I try not to throw stones at anyone. I just have empathy for the whole drama that's playing out on the world stage. And I reflect on it and say, okay, I wanna take a stand for, for um, justice. What is it within me that I'm not looking at? Yeah, this is, this is as you said, as, as above, so below, or as without, so within. It, it's in the small family circles in our relationships and then obviously on the collective level. And yeah. this is what's getting challenged like it, it never before. And, you know, in, in, in many ways, um, this should not be taken the wrong way, but in many ways, we as humanity collectively have prayed for times that all of this is coming up so we can look Precisely. at it with new eyes and now bring, bring in new ways of how we can stand united, can stand together, can yeah. create these new pathways. And so maybe you have, you have some insights on 
as we're creating these new pathways, right? Like you made the, the example of somebody who was choosing to stay silent because that's what they've learned at home yes. or in, in school even, right? Um, or in society. And I mean, we can, we can talk about uh, racial differences. We can talk about minorities, but we can also talk about men and women. I mean, this, is, this has been going on across the board, Absolutely. basically. Um, there's, there's always been this, this, this small pseudo elite that has controlled and dominated same way we've treated the planet. So I, I think at this point in our evolution, all of, all of this is plainly obvious, but then still for the path forward, and, and this shows up for me in, in many of the communities um, or events that I show up in, uh, it's, it's still a lot of work and that work mm -hmm. needs some kind of framework and guidance. And some people are more skilled than others to hold and to witness and to make mm -hmm. space for it. And I think the space making is a very important piece. Absolutely. But even then, even when good space is made, Sometimes the tools are lacking to, mm -hmm. to really allow everyone to feel fully like, wow, I've been seen, heard, and felt, mm -hmm. and I was allowed to fully express myself. So what are some, mm -hmm. some of the tools that you might not have mentioned yet that we need on this collective level, but also on this individual and this family level to, mm -hmm. to navigate our path forward into what I called earlier, like planetary leadership, because really that's, sure. that's, that's part of what I mean with that term of planetary leadership. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is such a beautiful and rich conversation. And it's, I think, for your community of listeners, I'm sure that they're all right there with you and me in that process of how am I showing up today? And who, who is, you know, coming forward within me? You know, if I talk about just this idea of getting bigger than what's bugging me, this is fundamentally the work of Eugene Gendlin and mm -hmm. Ann Weiser Cornell and Barbara McGavin and some of the people who've carried his work forward in like powerful, powerful ways that I've trained with as well. It's about the inner dialogue of being able to be present to what's in us without merging with it and thinking it's who I am and losing my identity in it. So this to me is the cornerstone of the inner dialogue work that we all need to have developed to be congruent, as you were saying, with the fact that there's something in me that's activated and have the uh, consciousness around that to not then blame the stimulus as if it's the cause. This is a huge cornerstone, <laughs> huge, because we're triggered by each other all day long. Everybody who triggers me, I have an opportunity in that moment to decide, okay, this is something in me that's being activated and I can turn towards you and make you responsible for my feelings right at the moment. Or I can just acknowledge that something's been activated and then turn within myself to be with what's been activated in a way in which it feels acknowledged, heard, understood from its perspective and can let me experience a way that it feels seen, heard and acknowledged so that it can release. This is a trauma model that looks at the trauma as the stuck spots in our, in our bodies. And body gentlemen used very loosely as more than just the physical body, an energetic space. And when our energy has been stuck due to a trauma where something occurred, relationally needed to happen, didn't happen, it continues, that, that moving forward, that life moving forward energy continues, but it's stuck here. And it ekes by, and it generally tends to be that, that from these places, we go into what I would call codependent behaviors. We go into neediness. We go into latching onto someone outside of us to heal that part of us. We then get upset when they won't do it for. I mean, there's all those patterns in the world of codependency that happen from that place within us because essentially we are so merged with these deep places of wounds that we're not able to separate out being self in presence, present to it in order to help heal within ourselves. We keep looking outside, outside, outside. We're back to that model again of mm -hmm. being told our That's whole lives. Yeah. yeah. So it, it, you know, it goes in, it goes in, it goes in. And then we're, we're stuck believing, okay, it is something outside of me. I need to go find that person who's going to make me better. My partner, my love person, my this, my that. Who is it who I can, maybe my healer. And a lot of healers end up, I believe, with more power handed over to them than they know what to do with or they should have. And they also don't know how to keep handing the power back and saying, it's not about me. I'm simply the container for your own healing. 
And I've had healers in my own life who've actually stepped away from the modalities that they were, they were using because they realized that people just kept handing them their wounds right. and wanting them to heal those wounds for them. And then before you know it, they had this dynamic where it was all about the healer as opposed to the healer empowering me or another person to be attentive to their inner worlds. And they became such a classic trap of the enlightenment movement, right? Totally. That the, the person uh, preaching turns into the next dominator and, or the next guru exactly. figure that, that, that exactly. can't yeah, can be replaced. Yes, it's a big issue. It's a problem, you know, because we are wired um, from the moment we're born and those 14 generations before us to be, to be externally focused. And, you know, that journey back to internal can take such a long time when you're, you're not having any examples of someone modeling it for you. So going back to kind of your original question, what is it that we can do? We can start to break down signaling behaviors that we would want to call bad behavior within our nuclear families with our children and begin to look at those behaviors as the manifestation of the unmet need and be curious about what the unmet needs are. We can look at the no and begin to get curious about what they're saying yes to inside. We can step away from our reactivity and look at it from some spaciousness where we allow them to separate, individuate, and get away from the narrative in our head that it's bad behavior, and instead see it as drowning behavior, and that maybe developmentally we were asking too much, and I think we do that all the time, developmentally we're not aware, or the child's unmet needs for just basic things are not being met. And if I just support them meeting their basic needs, it will help them um, just get centered again and get out of fight flight. I mean, there are so many preventative things that we can do within our families to set up the structures for people to feel safe as though they belong and that they can have a perspective and that there's an audience for it. I remember my daughter saying to me once, you know, mom, when you say that, you, I feel like you marginalize my feelings. And that was such a great thing for her to say because it really made me step back and go, oh my gosh, yeah, you know, I, I feel like I did marginalize your feelings and I am so thankful that you let me know that. Can we have those conversations with our friends, with our partners, with our children, with our own parents? I mean, I know when I tried to have conversations with my mother, I'd been teaching communication skills within families for like a decade and a half. And I sat down with her and I said, mom, would you do my course with me? Because I think we could really deepen our communication. And um, her response was, there's nothing wrong with my communication. Mm -hmm. So she was so defensive. Um, and, and, you know, you can't change other people. You can provide environments in which they choose to change. Yeah, there's an interesting key there. They're like providing environments. And I want to go a little deeper there in a second. But um, I'm also really curious because it seems to me that emotions are both a shared experience. Like emotions aren't really that private entirely, meaning like mm -hmm. we, we telepathically feel each other. Like we, mm -hmm. we feel each other through the empathy that, that is experienced, right? Yeah. But also emotions are an individual, um, like a layer of information. Mm -hmm. So like my emotions are there to tell me information about me and the way I can interact with the world. And so, mm -hmm. um, you know, if we were to rationalize emotions, mm -hmm. they're, just, they're just data, mm -hmm. right? And so, of course, if it, no one's emotional experience wins over the other one. So mm. the, the, the example of marginalizing it, that's, that's kind of mm. what I wanted to touch on there. That is, that is very real in human dynamics. And, you mm. know, I've, I've had, for me, this shows up in, in, in my relationship every now and then. And I realized, like, yeah, it's, it's very, um, not tricky, but very, like, delicate to find this balance of allowing myself to feel and voice and allowing her or the other person to, to feel and voice and then realize we might still not be meeting, but, but through experiencing, looking at the, the data set of emotions, understanding that it looks different from the other perspective, now suddenly a space opens. And the space is rarely the way I, I would think or want it to be, that like, uh, I'm right or, or you're right. And, you know, because even if the other person is right, sometimes it makes it easier. It's like, okay, well, I was wrong and you were right. Let's go mm. with your solution. But often that's not how it works because... <laughs> <laughs> Human dynamics are, are, are 
more beautiful than that. They're more mm. complex than that, right? Mm. But I want to come back to, you know, um, the, creating the spaces for this. And mm. so I ask this question a lot, even, uh, even to people when uh, their background isn't in, in education or, or conscious parenting around, um, you know, if you could single-handedly or with a team of experts transform the education system at large, mm. like what would you do? And so like, specifically for you, Catherine, like mm. what would you how would you set up spaces for people mm -hmm. to meet in if it's schools or public spaces or because i think there's you know a last little context i wow. want to give to this yeah is like this conversation you and i are having somebody mm -hmm. could look at it from the external and criticize it that you know maslow's py pyramid of needs like mm -hmm. you, you need to like have everything else before you can reflect on this level and so mm -hmm. if we look at the current way society is is set up i might even agree with that notion but the mm. moment we create spaces mm. to encounter each other, something mm. could shift and change. And so I'm really curious for your answer mm. there. Well, that's just so interesting. I mean, I, there are like 4 million things I want to talk about in addition to spaces. <laughs> yeah, please do. Yeah. <laughs> well, one of the things that came up for me is when you were just talking about that interplay between us with others and that, you know, it's not so clear cut like you end and I begin and that you have an experience and I'm not intuiting what that is or it's not informing me of something that I share or have information about. Um, have you heard of the Edgar Casey Institute for Research and Enlightenment? Mm -hmm. So there's a gentleman there, his name is Henry Reed, and he runs the intuitive studies at the Edgar Casey Institute for Research and Enlightenment. And I spent a few summers um, with Henry and Henry does something called the Dream Helper Ceremony, where we dream for each other. And, um, and there's a ceremony around it where before we all go to sleep that night, someone who's got something pressing inside of themselves that they want clarity about um, will be the person who reveals to Henry what their issue is. We don't actually know what it is, but then there's a ceremony that's set up for us to dream for this person that night. And by actually having sort of like this sacred initiation without knowledge of specifically what it is that we're dreaming about for them, we actually go into a, um, what do I want to call it? A shared sort of psychic space where we are tapping into something in us with that, the biggest like, you know, way of experiencing what the us might be that could be in service to this person. And then the next day we harvest the dreams and share what we dreamt about that night. And, and we don't really know how it's landing with that person um, until a later stage. And Henry would talk about um, the, fig, the, the fig in the apocalypse, that, you know, the fig that covers um, the private parts is being lifted. And we are going to know things about each other that they may not want us to know. And this is that intuitive space that you're talking about where I may just sense something and know, like with that download, something about you that you may be ashamed of or not want me to know or hiding. And it turns out I just end up knowing it. And there's, you know, this no fault, no blame, no guilt, no shame. You might've heard that before, but in the world of no fault, no blame, no guilt, no shame, we really do acknowledge that our lives are just one thing happening after another. And that idea of being the doer and doership vanishes into this other concept that, wow, everything is just unfolding and everything in my life is unfolding and I'm showing up as I show up based on my highest vision at the time. And that highest vision at the time is kind of predetermined by my family of origin and what I've been through and you know what society has taught me as my values. And I mean, it goes so much deeper than anything you speak about epigenetics. I mean, there are so many different factors beyond our wildest imagination that give rise to how I am showing up and coping in the moment. I can look back on some of my, what do I want to call it, most embarrassing ways or even things that I might feel shame around. And I could go down that road of self-criticism or I could have compassion for my own way of showing up in that moment and recognize that there were so many conflicted parts within me because of that preconditioning that made it that I showed up that way. And that's not about not being responsible for how I showed up. It's putting it into a context of 
I wish I'd shown up differently. I have compassion for the limitations of the way that I appeared at the moment. And I would like to now have a conversation with you about how I wish I could have been different. And, you know, that's a space in and of itself. There's so many different levels of space that we create. Can we create within ourselves the space for other people to show up in a particular way that we might not like showing up ourselves in, but yet we don't need to limit their appearance? Mm. Because a lot of us show that's up with this idea of how do I need to limit you so I can feel okay? And that is a type of space. You know, we create atmosphere in the space outside of us. Yeah. It's exactly, I mean, we can see layer after layer after layer of how the micro and the macro just keep showing up. And how are we limiting each other in order for us to feel safe? Like, I can't possibly express myself in that way, so I don't want you to do it either. <laughs> and then again, my emphasis is on controlling the world around me so that other people aren't living in a way that makes me uncomfortable. Well, can I let you be the way you are? And yes, it may cause within me conflict that I then get to spend time with and begin to understand it. And then I have a lot to unpack within myself. But you know, my husband's an architect mm -hmm. and it's so interesting because he's on a whole psychological safety and how do I build for that, especially in the workplace? And so, you know, maybe I'll introduce you to him because if you want to really get down to the bones of what are the physical spaces that we can create in order to create psychological safety, and there are ways to do that, and there are ways to build for that. And we all know we've got people that we work with or live with or are, you know, in somehow physical environments with who are narcissists who have, um, you know, what I'm going to call dysfunctional patterns that they're unconscious to, and their projecting of their inner worlds into the outer space makes it actually psychologically um, not a safe space for me to be in. And where are my boundaries and how do I create them and how do I do them in physical spaces and how do I do them energetically? It's like, a, we've got hours we got to talk. <laughs> yeah, that's a very deep topic. And I, I'm sure there will be follow-up conversations and um you know i've been i've been mentioning this a few episodes ago i made a, a little solo episode and reflected on what's coming kind of coming next and one of those what's coming next is a round table on the future of education and however that goes maybe even multiple round tables and so mm -hmm. i'm sure we'll we'll get to dive in deeper and deeper i'm oh, so grateful. short intermission this is your host julian for a short announcement Green Planet Blue Planet podcast is currently entirely self-funded from my private coaching practice and work in the world, speaking at events and teaching breathwork, meditation, as well as facilitating leadership programs. If you're at a place in your life where you're ready to level up, step forward and be all in, then this might just be for you. Have you considered hiring a coach or is it time to find someone who deeply cares for the same evolutionary revolution on our planet? If that's the case, I'm your guy. As a transformational coach, I've worked with hundreds of people at events and in person via weekly calls over various months. I'm in service to switch on humans just like you who are on the cutting edge of some of the most progressive stuff on planet Earth. And if that's not quite you yet, but that's the dream inside of you, then even more reason to reach out. Well, whether you are a successful entrepreneur, a startup founder or an artist, I am here to support more people to deepen their planetary purpose. I've developed highly tailored coaching programs that are based on bringing out your gift into the world because I believe in a world in which we can empower and encourage all individuals to express their unique gifts. And all right, before we get back to the episode, make sure you visit my website greenplanet-blueplanet.com slash mentorships or simply find your way there by clicking work with Julian and book a free consultation with me. And if you listen to the end of the episode, I will give away a discount for listeners only. So here we go. We're returning to today's episode. Deeper and deeper. I'm so grateful already for all the wisdom and, you know, insights that have been shared in this episode and, you know, some personal anecdotes, which make it so much more accessible and, and mm. pragmatic also, right? Because it's not just um, about preaching something that we have understood, but it's more yeah. about understanding, admitting and meeting in this place where it's like, we're all going through this. Mm. We don't need to actually hide from each it. other, yeah. right? Like the more we can... Um, celebrate the imperfect perfection that it is to be human the easier this whole pathway gets and, and the more we can also start celebrating our diversity because 
there is there's not this illusion of the one perfect way to to, to be which mm-hmm. i think is a clear thing of the past yet mm-hmm. we're feeling the reverberation of it still in our current society absolutely and you know in the world of parenting there's still a lot of parents who feel embarrassed when their kids fall apart in public and their response is a lot about looking around them at what other people are thinking about the parent that you know you must be a really bad parent if you've got a child that's behaving like this and then there's also that group mind around if you were a good parent you would discipline that child yeah, yeah. so that that child wouldn't would get that's that they really can't behave that way experience I'll, I'll i'll share i'll share an anecdote there a few years ago i was in china on a work-related contract for about oh. two months very different culture than than many of the different cultures i've lived in mm. um not just different in the west it's it's just very distinct and you know some amazing things and some not so amazing things about it and so what happened was it was like a saturday and it was all very consume centric actually and so on that saturday i went to the mall to go to the coffee shop and um you know on the weekends i had basically nothing to do there so all i was looking forward to is like work out and then mm. read my book in the coffee shop and so it was, it was like in the space of already being really spacious and i was walking to the mall and there was like a two-year-old, I just assume about the, the, ten, yeah. the tantrum, the tantrum mm. throwing of two-year-olds, a two-year-old that was like throwing a fit mm. in the middle of a big public plaza. And for one, thousands of people passed by in, in, a, in, a, in a way where it's like completely ignoring the energetic interaction. And I just kind of observed and was like, well, I'm curious what's going to mm-hmm. happen there. And really quickly, I realized, I think I, I need to go and get really close to this because the the parents or could have been the grandparents that were very old um, in relation to the child, they get really aggressive and really like disciplining the child. And so I don't want to call out any culture or anything as being wrong at all. I'm just saying sure. this is what I actually experienced. Right. And so, and so they were like dragging the child off the ground and the child was like trying to like be, get mm. as heavy as possible on the ground. And, and you could start see like starting to like hit the, the child's arm and, and so for me, like my whole energetic empathy body just like whew, absorbed yeah. that. And, you know, I didn't want to absorb it. So I kind of just felt it and then, and then went for a as mm. conscious as possible reaction. And so I knew they won't understand me because there was very few people that spoke English. So I just walked up as close as possible and, and repeated multiple times. This is not okay. Mm. You can't do this. And so by, you know, and I'm a very tall person in, especially mm. in an Asian culture. And so with this tall person that looks like an alien to them like walking in and and being like hey this is the, so that i i kind of de-escalated that very moment and you know that doesn't make me a hero because i don't know if i was really of service to that situation either it was just the only thing i knew to do in that moment because yes. I, I couldn't let that happen kind of thing but, totally. but then afterwards i was wondering like was that even smart? Like, I don't even know what will happen mm. later on. Like maybe mm. I made it worse for that child. Maybe not. Mm. I mean, in mm. this whole chain of reactions kind of catapulted and mm-hmm. um, yeah, because in yeah. a way I, I dominated the space by just like being there. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, but yeah, that's, that's just kind of popped up in my mind there. Yeah, no, I mean, I've actually, as you know, you know, I've lived in Hong Kong for 30 years yeah, and before yeah. that I did live in China as well. And I studied Mandarin in university and speak oh, Mandarin and so forth. And, um, and I would say the, the, yeah, huge percentage of my client base are Chinese um, from one place or another on the planet. And it's one of the conversations I've had so many different times around, obviously, it's a very authoritarian culture. And filial piety um, runs through all the Asian cultures, the Japanese, the Korean, the Chinese, this idea that you mm. are to be... Um, in reverence to your elders, which there's a really beautiful lineage there. Um, on the other hand, <laughs> it has a little bit to do with, well, yeah, but you know, not so much related to age, reverence to someone older or younger. It's really wisdom, about yeah. reverence to wisdom. Well, and reverence isn't obedience, right? Like reverence, reverence is a beautiful is not quality. Obedience. Obedience, exactly. doesn't, obedience doesn't necessarily serve at all, actually, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I spent my whole life, essentially, my, my whole career around teaching people not to be obedient and compliant, parents not to cultivate obedience and compliance. It's dangerous. Um, and there's 
at the time, I think when people are doing the rewards and punishments to cultivate people to do as they're told, the idea is that that's what consideration is. But consideration totally. has nothing to do with obedience and compliance. And so again, there's a breakdown in a deeper understanding. And I would then take people through a process. What are your goals in your parenting? What are the outcomes that are going to make you feel like you did a great job? And are your systems that you're putting in place, I mean, it really, these really are systems around conflict resolution, supporting those goals, or are they actually getting in the way of those goals? And frankly, it usually is that they're getting in the way of the goals. People want their children to be self-motivated. They want them to have the ability to self-regulate. They want them to be in touch with their dreams and to believe in themselves and all of these, I would say, I deeply, deeply resonate with. And most of the people that I come into contact with are actually unwittingly setting up systems within their families that get in the way of all of those precious Right, because you can't build the resilience to actually come from this intrinsically motivated place. Because life is not only always shiny and happy, right? You've got to build the resilience to deal with failure, et cetera. And Absolutely. It can't be solved by the... The authority that tells you what to do next. And it can't be solved in a family system, which mm -hmm. actually punishes for a lack of perfection. Mm -hmm. So bad behavior is one of the ways in which people learn to hide their behavior, hide their needs back to circling all the way back to the earlier, you know, conversation we were having about being transparent. Well, you don't really want me to be transparent. You want me to be well-behaved. Let's get clear about that <laughs> yeah. from the beginning. Yeah, if I yeah. were to be transparent, it would probably catalyze something in you around your thoughts around obedience and compliance. Which then might turn into a beautiful growth and learning process on all sides, which is a movement that we are, we're witnessing. It is a movement that is, that is starting to happen. If, Catherine, you, I have, if you have that, yeah. yeah, Petri dish. Exactly. That's, it's, it's one of the islands of sanities, I guess, um, you know, metaphorical islands that, that yeah. is, that is, starting to happen more and more it's mm -hmm. it's it's definitely not the norm yet but i think that's the pathway uh, things have to take right it's like yeah try it out in petri dishes try it out in, in so-called islands of sanity in, in, in quotation marks and then i love that yeah and then going forward i have a, a last question for you for our session today yeah. and this has to do with being good ancestors for the future and so my question is around your vision your earth vision your vision for the earth the planet the children the, the way we yeah. educate um in the context of uh seven generations and so mm -hmm. what what would it take for us to be good ancestors for that future yeah isn't that great what a beautiful visionary question for me um you know it starts with how we are with each other and so for me it's about setting up those family systems which allow for us to be able to speak and to model for our children that their, their voices matter so that those children are able to be authentically connected to themselves and stand for themselves. It's the Greta Thornburg. I mean, I want more Gretas in the world. I want the, you know, and Greta is so distinct in and of herself. And I talk about her in one of my TED Talks and I talk about um, Malawi and how, how are these children able to say what will cost them potentially their lives? Um, and, you know, they pay a very high price to speak up. And so cultivating an atmosphere where people can speak up and speak their truth and transcend their families of origin and to be able to create a world in which that is encouraged so that we honor that person. I mean, to me, that's, that's like the turning point. The turning point is when we actually do create systems and families in which everyone's voice matters. You touched on perspective taking way on, and I didn't pick up on it at the time, although it's one of my favorite topics, mm -hmm. is that you know one of the things that I cultivate in my courses is the ability for a family to actually have everyone in the family regularly, when there's flashpoints, conflict, be able to take a breath, step back and say, okay, let's have a round table. And why don't we each talk about not only what is our perspective, but turn towards your neighbor, your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, and now speak what you think is their perspective. And now you go around the table and each and every one does that. 
and you've created the ability to realize that, oh, wow, you know, you look through life through a lens that's not mine. And your truth is actually just as true to you as my truth is to me. And that breaks us out of the domination and the powers that be model. The powers that be model don't want to know each other's perspectives. They just want to dominate and control someone else so that they can get them to do my way, even if it's not honoring and respectful of your way. So if we can model, that's how we teach. If I can model that your perspective matters and I can reflect it back to you, I teach you how to do the same for me. And if I can be honoring and respecting of you and I can model it, then you will actually be honoring and respecting of me. And so these are basics that are really important to seeding that next generation and seven you know, down the line. It's really about recognizing that we are a collective. And that we each have all within that our distinctions and our little zones of genius. And it's not a threat to me that you have your freedom. I encourage it. And, you know, as I mentioned before, this idea of limiting what's around me so I feel safe, so that everybody is controlled by my highest vision, that's one of the things we need to break. Mm. We need to break through that so that we can recognize that actually if it's triggering me, it's about me. It's not about me needing to limit you. Mm. And that's my inner journey. You know, I teach meditation and breathing as well. And in the tradition of Sri Sri Ravi Shankar, he talks about the impressions in the mind and the nervous system and healing the nervous system. And through breathing, we actually, and I'm sure you can relate to this as a breathing teacher, we actually heal the nervous system. And that allows so, these impressions to be released through something other than just talk therapy. So I believe in breathing and meditation and releasing the impressions and trauma from the brain without the story. And I believe because people do need a process that it's important to give inner dialogue work to people to be able to connect with what's going on inside of them without merging with it. And if we don't teach it, I don't think people learn how to do it. We can start to model it using the words like something in you and you, you're, you're sensing this part of you so that we can begin to create self and presence to be with all of the inner like world. Sensing, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Beautiful. Catherine, thank you so much for your time and the insights and wisdom you shared today. Uh, thank I've, you. I've sure this learned a lot. So wonderful. Yeah, yeah, I really enjoyed my time here. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening and here we are again. This is your host Julian. I hope you truly enjoyed this episode of Green Planet and Blue Planet podcast and received some insights and knowledge for your life, relationships and business. If you love Green Planet and Blue Planet podcast, make sure to subscribe, leave a review that really allows this podcast to reach a broader audience and share it with a friend. Let me also remind you that this podcast is currently entirely self-funded. I'm a transformational coach and mentor, a breathwork guide, and want to offer all my listeners a full 10% off my private coaching work. That is as much as $500 for a three-month program, and this discount applies for all one-on-one -on -one coaching offers, as well as some select coaching groups that I host in person. If you're curious and interested, make sure to visit the website greenplanet-blueplanet.com and click Work with Julian. Let me tell you a little bit more about my planetary purpose and leadership programs. I am committed to accelerating our human tribe, going deep into unconditioning the blocking beliefs and blind spots, enabling your gifts and clarity to amplify for aligned business, healthy relationships and overall presence with life. I have worked with hundreds of people across the world, either one-on-one -on -one in small coaching groups on, online or in-person at events. It is my gift to boost authentic confidence and guide you while asking the deepest questions that get you to address your dormant potential. I am an activator and catalyst for those who are ready to step into the highest version of themselves. We live in unique times and let me tell you from experience, having a coach makes a massive difference. I specialize on supporting successful entrepreneurs in unpacking their purpose and joy of life. I do work with startup entrepreneurs and artists as well and on request, I host individual breathwork mentorships. If you want to learn more, how to support the show, or suggest a guest, you can also simply send me an email. 
If you want to take advantage of the offer I just mentioned and claim the 10% discount, simply book a free consultation with me through my website. That is greenplanet-blueplanet.com mentorships and mention the end of episode discount and I'll give the discount code to you right here, right now. It's 808. That's right. That's your code right here, right now, 808. Mention it to me in our free consultation that you can book by the website and 10% are yours. That being said, thank you so much for listening today. Have yourself an amazing day. Don't forget to hit subscribe, review the show and share it with a friend. Mm-hmm.